We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. We are here pretty much at the end of November, and when it comes to the Buffalo Bills and the Buffalo Sabres, this is a tale of two teams, both sitting at 500. One of them, I think most of us are perfectly fine with. One of them, obviously, not so much. On that note, welcome everybody to another episode of Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talk and more. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very much, as always, for locking in, whether you're listening to this, an audio podcast form, which if you are, hopefully you'll be hearing this sometime on Tuesday or whether you're checking us out on the video side. For some of you, anyway, who are doing that, we are actually live here on a Monday night. Thank you again for for tuning in. I am joined by a good friend. At this point, I'm going to call him a recurring guest on this podcast, but not enough now to be a recurring guest. PK from the Buffalo Sports Collective, a really solid Bills and Sabres podcast, but I've said it before for new people here who might not know them. If you're a Buffalo Bandits fan, Buffalo Sports Collective is an absolute must-listen to. Co-hosting that with me, PK. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? Not much. Getting ready to start up the uh, two times a week, starting next week. So we've been uh, one show every Wednesday for the last six months, but with Bandits kicking off in the NLL, we're uh, going back to Monday, Friday, starting next week. That's got to be an exciting time for you, man. It's exciting, and also because of the new format, uh, I pretty much have to watch every single game now. It used to be West-East, and now it's all one conference, so every single game means something. So uh, it's uh, it's going to be a long, long season. <laughs> Explain that briefly here. I, again, I know there's some Bandits fans who are, are watching this, and I think there's going to be some bandwagon Bandits fans seeing they won the championship last year, but what are you talking about in terms of a change? from East-West to, to one giant conference? Because I don't even know what you're talking about right now. So last year and prior years, there was an East and a West conference, and there would be some crossover. I think the mm-hmm. Bandits played Colorado and I want to say San Diego, San Diego last year as well, but the rest of the 16 games, it was all Eastern conference teams. 
they blended the whole thing together. So all 15 teams are in one league. Everybody's playing each other at least once. Buffalo plays and everybody else plays uh, another team for or a second time. So 14 times you're facing one team and then additional, you know, one other time. But it, it's every single game is going to mean something because the top eight are making the playoffs. But, you know, prior years, we didn't really have to worry about the Western Conference until playoff time. Right. And now all 15 teams, it matters with playoffs. And it's uh, it's going to be a fun, entertaining and very competitive season. I didn't even know, like, especially the West Coast teams. Uh, I seen Vegas. Is, I know Buffalo is going to Vegas. I'm like, hmm. I actually wouldn't mind uh, having an excuse to go out to Vegas and check out a Bandits game. That, that's really cool. It's pretty wild. I, I did not know that. Uh, we're going to talk today, obviously, Buffalo Sabres. We are doing this live in part anyway late on Monday because the Buffalo Sabres just defeated the New York Rangers on the road 5-1 to one, without question, one of their more impressive performances of this season. We'll talk about that game and the Sabres a, a little bit as well. And obviously some fallout from this Buffalo Bills loss in Philadelphia. Uh, I don't know about you. I slept on it. I did a show live maybe an hour or so after the game. Kind of was like almost in a, in, in a daze because I was almost like shell-shocked. Shouldn't be when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. We all know how that goes. Like I, I feel like most fans, content creators, you should be almost numb to anything that could happen to find a way for the Bills to find a way to lose. But even after sleeping on it, PK, for a day now, this is what, 30, 30 some hours after the game's ended or so. I'm uh I'm not feeling it, man. I am still, still very uh heated. You're a little more measured of a man than I am. You know what I'm saying? A little bit anyway, at least from my dealings with you, whether it's on this show, hearing you on yours. I want to uh and by the way, I got a, a comment here. Leanne King, I'm going. She must be referring to Vegas when the Buffalo Bandits go out west. Want to let people know before we get cooking here with some Bills and Sabres talk too. On the video side, um, if you're fortunate enough, if you're blessed enough to be one of my Facebook friends, you can comment on it live. It'll show up here and I'll get on the screen or on the YouTube channel, Talk Buffalo Podcast. If you're watching that, you want to leave a comment, I'll try to get it up on the screen and, uh, and we'll get to that. If you're watching this live on Twitter, which I know the majority of people who watch the videos are, you can watch it on Twitter, but you can't comment. So if you want to leave a comment, ask a question for BK and myself, just go to the Talking Buffalo YouTube channel and uh, you'll be able to do that. All right, so I just want to put that out there before we get cooking. Um, All right, let, let's just dive right into the Bills. No, no beating around the bush here, man. We got too much shit that I want to get to with you here tonight. Sean McDermott, wh where are you at with him right now? And I know it's a very general question to ask somebody, but let's start there and maybe then we'll build off your answer a little bit. You saw the game. Everyone who's watching this or listening to this saw the game, saw how it played out. Where are you at when it comes to Sean McDermott right now? And his present and more importantly, his future perhaps with this uh, football team. I remember I was on your show when they signed those contract extensions and we were yep. talking about it. And I went, I, I'm, I think I'm okay with it. I just didn't understand the timing. Like, I remember. It didn't make any sense to do it at that time. And He's had, and I mean, all of Monday, all of today has been a big talking point about Sean McDermott's. There's people that are defending him. There's people that are just ready to cut bait with him. I think I am a realist about it because I don't think personally he is the right guy to get them over the hump. I just am in the camp that 
I don't think it matters because I don't think he's going anywhere after this. I think the organization, and I've said this multiple times, I'm afraid that the organization is going to be too complacent and too okay with making the playoffs constantly and what he's done after the previous 17 years. I mean, coming in, this is his seventh year. What the possibility of missing the playoffs one time, and this will be his second time if they don't make the playoffs this season. I'm, I was worried going in to that extension, and I'm still worried now that they might be okay with, hey, if this is the floor, we're good with it. Cause we've seen how high the ceiling is. I just, there are too many blunders the last seven years to just ignore it. And I know people have been saying, Hey, look at all the good. You don't know what might come after him. I, I hate that excuse because you already know what you're getting with him. I don't think he is the coach that can get them over that final hump. What is going to, and I'm not asking you this. This is more me thinking out loud at this point of Sean McDermott's tenure with the Buffalo bills. What's going to change? You know what I'm saying? I don't see they've had great players. They've had loads of talent on defense at times. They've had loads of talent on offense on times. The one constant with this team, well, two constants. Even this year, not so much with standing, but they've won a lot of football games. And I agree with you, by the way. What we think should happen to Sean McDermott and what we ultimately think is going to happen to Sean McDermott, I feel like, at least anyway, are two different things. But I'm out on him. I'm 100% out. I've always, to some extent, felt that way. and didn't want to come to grips with it, but after the Kansas City game in 2021, there was no way he was getting fired. It was a fireable offense the way he coached the rest, you know, the last 13 seconds, but he was never going to get fired. We all know that. It just went to the AFC Championship the year before. They should have won that game, probably go to the Super Bowl. I understand why he didn't get fired, but I lost confidence in him, and you hope that that would kind of feel like an anomaly, that game, that moment being too big for him, but it's not. And we're seeing it time and time again, maybe not on that big of a stage, such as the playoffs, PK, but we're just seeing it with consistency. He's choking in big games and big moments, and it's just happening too often now to be considered coincidence, an anomaly, unlucky, whatever way you want to phrase it. This year, the Bills, and we've said this a couple times on the show, over the last 24, 48 hours or so. Three times this year, PK, the Bills, no matter how shitty the offense played or how shitty the defense will play, whatever, three times they have scored a touchdown with less than two minutes on the clock to take a lead. All three times the Bills have lost. They are 0-3 when they've taken a touchdown or when they scored a touchdown to take a lead inside the final two minutes. And then you look at some of the specifics as to why you go to the Denver game. It's a third down. They on second down, the bills had a jailhouse blitz. It worked. Russell Wilson gets knocked out of field goal range and they come back on third down and long and they run it again. And then Toronto, Teron Johnson gets beat inexcusable defensive call. Um, Philadelphia this past week, just on Sunday, it's third and four in overtime. And Sean McDermott calls a soft zone. He just gave a free first down, you know, a free third down conversion because he was worried about getting beaten over the top and gives it away. It was like he was almost playing for Philly to only get a field goal and to try to tie it at the end. And then the, the quarterback sneak by Jalen Hurts. I don't remember the guy's name, but the Philadelphia uh, Eagles lineman said in the locker room to reporters, he couldn't believe the Bills called that defense. And they knew before Hurts even took off with the ball 
that he was going to score and win the game. The Bills were in a cover zero. And John McDermott owned it to his credit, I guess, afterwards and said that was on him. But that's and that's just him as a defensive coordinator, PK. You they're six and six, and they've lost three leads inside the last two minutes of a football game, man. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's the scapegoat in prior years was Leslie Frazier. And then that whole situation, right. whether he was fired or just didn't get retained or whatever that whole situation was, Sean McDermott had the option to go out and get a defensive play caller. And he said, no, I'm going to take this on myself. And he has to own what happened on Sunday. And I, I have been a staunch defender of the defense all season long. I, I really thought besides this Philly game, the only loss that was really on the defense was that New England game. And sure. there was no excuse for that game. If if the offense was playing like they did in Philly, this team could be 10 and two. I mean, they honestly could be, but the offense wasn't doing it. The, we, we have said for a long time now that the back half of their schedule is so difficult. Philly, Kansas City, Dallas, their defense was going to be truly tested because the teams that they were facing in the middle part of their section or season when Milano was down and White was down and they had all those injuries, they weren't that strong of teams and the defense was keeping them in it. That's this whole Philly game is on Sean McDermott. I mean, <laughs> call it to coach is lost. Doing? Yeah. I mean, what are you doing? Like, how is there not a single spy on Jalen Hurts on that play? Like, what is going on? And <laughs> they were, <laughs> and if there Trump, is. And if there is, it's Tyrell Dodson. I mean, come on. Right, what, are we, yeah. what, what are we doing here, man? They what we... exposed Tyrell Dodson immensely in that second half. I mean, the previous two games, I thought he was playing really, really well. I thought that was the best we've seen of Tyrell Dodson. And then in the Philly game, they were just like, this guy ain't that good. Let's just pick on him nonstop. And they just targeted him over and over and over. And once they realized, hey, we can beat this guy, they just kept doing it. And they had no answer to it. I don't want to beat up Tyrell Dodson and just single him out individually when there's plenty of guys on the defense that were quite shitty, you know, in the second half and overtime in that game. But it's funny you say that because he has been playing pretty well, but like last week he was phenomenal. PFF grade him or gave him one of the highest grades I've, I've ever seen a bills defender have. And at first I laughed and I'm like, you know what? He played great, but he played the New York jets and Zach Wilson and ooh, Tim Boyle, whatever the how that quarterback is this week, different story. You talked about his schedule getting very real and it did. And you saw what Tyrell Dodson was. And early in the game, he played pretty well. Tone Pucks, my guy who I'd usually do a weekly show with talked about him. He watched the game with me in my house. Um, Sunday talked about him playing well early. I took offense to it. I got pissed off and I started screaming at the television at Dodson at times. I started screaming at Tone Pucks personally at times. It was, uh, it was really frustrating to watch him. But again, he's just one player. So uh, community Mo Brown says Tyrell Dodson has to go. Well, they don't really have any other options right now. That's kind of the problem. They have Dorian Williams. More on him, by the way. Um, in a second, let's get back to Sean McDermott, though, because I don't want to get into a Tyrell Dodson. It's not really about Tyrell Dodson. It's about the Bills. Sean McDermott is a defensive coordinator. It's about him as a head coach. And I just, you know, we talked about what he's done as a defensive side. You said the Bills, you know, the way Josh Allen played, if the offense looked like that, they could be 10 and two. You're hundred percent right. But you know what? If the Bills defense makes one stop against Philadelphia, against Denver, against uh, what was the other team? Goddamn New England Patriots. Two of those three teams, the offenses are whack. If you win those three games that you have a lead in the last final two minutes, 
You're not six and six. You're nine and three right there. As shitty as the offense has played at times this year, that gets under my skin. And it's the head coaching, the the gutlessness in Philly that I can't live with. You know, going into this game, PK, and I, I'm pretty sure you felt the same. If Philly came in and kind of smacked the Bills and say they win 31-14, I'm probably feeling different today. Because I said coming in, you got to be Philly or Kansas City. You got to win one of those two. And then you pretty much have to win out after that. But the fact that this game was won, the Bills are up two scores in the second half, make a stop in the fourth quarter, and, and you win the football game. I'm having a hard time digesting this in part because typical Buffalo fashion, it gets ripped away from them. You know what I mean? This game was theirs, and I blame Sean McDermott above any player. Yeah, uh, in the last three seasons, he's 9-15 and 15 in one-score games, and he's 4-7. and seven. In three point games, it's oh. it's even if you want to go back to his full tenure, he's 28 and 28 in one score games. That's just not good enough when no. you have <laughs> the team and the talent you have. I mean, it, it, it's it's inexcusable. And if you want to talk about last year, Thanksgiving, right around a year ago, they have the ball versus Detroit tie ball game. Why did he trust Josh Allen then? to throw that dart to Stefan Diggs to get him in field goal range. You have 20 seconds Thank you. with one timeout and you go, you know, I, I don't, they're playing not to lose instead of playing to win. And it's been that way for a long, long time. And the other thing, and this, this is a whole coaching thing. And I, I this has been ticking me off for a long time. What is the point of trying to freeze a kicker? You're giving him extra time to prepare for it. <laughs> what is it? The only time it's ever worked is you, you freeze them. They miss the initial kick. Oh, there was a timeout on the play. And then they had the perfect opportunity. Okay, I missed it wide right here. I just got to correct it. Calling a timeout before the kicker kicks does absolutely nothing. It's this make-believe thing that's been going on for 60 years. If they don't waste the timeout there, 20 seconds, two timeouts, having Josh Allen playing one of the best games he's ever played with 20 seconds – the opportunity to go down and kick a field goal. It, it, I know that their kicker just made an unbelievable 59 yard field goal. I, I get that, but you trust your quarterback. You trust your pr- franchise quarterback. You trust your offense. Who's having an unbelievable game. And he'd rather just rely. What if they didn't win the coin toss? Did, would Philly just march right down the field and score that touchdown? Just like Philly did or uh, Kansas city did in 13 seconds. Like mm-hmm. what would have happened if they would have lost that field goal? We'd have an even more, a worse conversation because they wouldn't even had it. Josh wouldn't even touch the ball. Couldn't agree with you more sidebar. Funny note. Oh, it's not funny, but it's true. Have you ever in, in your life watched a football game and had to see a, see a kicker have to line up and try to nail a 59 yard field goal in the elements in the rain and been more confident that he was going to make it because they're playing the Buffalo Bills and you just start thinking to yourself, here we go again. How are the Bills going to find a way to lose? Oh, here it is. A guy's going to make a 59-yard field goal in the rain. My confidence level, I felt like it was a – that's probably, I would guess, maybe a 20 to 25% make percentage normally. I felt like it was an 80 85% chance he was going to make that kick before he even did. I mean, yeah. based on the, the <laughs> wonderful ways Buffalo has found to lose in the past, I knew it was going in. And as soon as Buffalo kicked the field goal instead of scoring the touchdown in overtime, I knew Philly was going to march on the field to yeah. lose be, or to win because that's just the way it is with Buffalo sports. It, it happens time and time again. Let me get to you. Let me. I, I want to reference back to what you talked about when um, taking a timeout to ice the kicker. A, it's a it's a proven kicker. First of all, he's done good things before, so he ain't no rookie. You know, no practice squad call up. 
and, and stuff like that. Like say the Houston kicker who shit his pants at the end of the game and they lost because of that. And I want, I want to read a comment because this ties into what we're about to talk to. Uh, Leanne King commented, said, I will never understand and kneel down with 20 seconds, especially since you watch Mahomes do it with 13 seconds. McDermott is scared of his own shadow. This is where I was talking about. All right, so all the defensive stuff, letting the scores at the end of the game, that's him as a defensive coordinator making the wrong calls. That's different than Sean McDermott, the head coach. Sean McDermott, the head coach to me, what he did Sunday in Philadelphia was just completely cowardly. Calling the timeout. You don't call that timeout. He makes the kick. You reference this. You still got 20 seconds left. The ball in the 25-yard line. You got a quarterback who was playing. I mean, you said it. One of the best games of his life. Josh Allen was the best player on that field Sunday in second place. Wasn't even close. You could have two timeouts with 20 seconds left. This is important too. Philadelphia had no timeouts. So it wasn't like, you know, a couple incomplete passes and there's still 16 seconds left. Now it's third down. We got to worry about having to make a punt, anything like that. First down, take a stab. And I said this, 15, 20 yards down the field. It could be the middle of the field because you should have had two timeouts. And if something's not there, Tell Josh Allen to throw the ball into the freaking eighth row of the seats. Okay. Take a intentional to grounding if you have to. Then take a knee and then you go to overtime. They had no guts to go for it. He, I don't know if he was worried because Josh Allen has turned the ball over a lot this year when he's tried to force the issue. But again, if it's not there, don't force that. Put that in your quarterback's head. Try to pick up 15, 20 yards on first down. You got a timeout, 14 seconds, 13 seconds, and you still got a timeout. Two plays, maybe three, a spike down. You got time to probably run three plays when you have two timeouts, and you got to crack at a field goal. Just didn't He didn't even try that. That pisses me off. And then, to your point, you get the ball in overtime. They march down the field methodically, fourth and six. And I know it's easy to, to be uh, an armchair in hindsight GM like we're being right now. But to me, and a lot of people agree with this too, you go for the win. You go for the win on fourth down. If you, if you don't get it, you, may, you hope your defense can make a stop. But here's the point. The defense was never going to make a stop. They had made a stop. They made one stop out of the last like six or seven Philly drives. Score a touchdown. Jalen Hurts never sees the field. You've seen it happen to you. Josh Allen was converting all day with his arm or his legs. To me, they should have went for it on fourth down. You said they coached to not lose or coached to, to not lose. I usually hate that. I usually think that's a bullshit line. But I'm going to tell you, this is the truth. That's how Sean McDermott coached this game and how he coaches too goddamn often, coaches not to lose. I mean, he's he's coaching like a true defensive-minded head coach. And I, I understand there's there's numbers out there that say he's like the third most aggressive quarterback or uh, coach that bases on analytics and is is right most of the time of when he's supposed to go for it in fourth downs and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of it, he's still a defensive-minded head coach. That 20 seconds right there where they chose to kneel it down, that's not an offensive head coach. That's a defensive-minded head coach that says, hey, I can't trust my offense. I I, I can't rely on it. And it, it, you, you mentioned about uh, worried about Josh Allen forcing it. And he didn't force anything. 
on Sunday. Like the one interceptions, it was a great play by the corner to the bait him in that play. Like he wasn't, that wasn't a forced throw. That was a perfect play by the corner sure. to intercept that ball. Throw it about 51 it, times. You're going to, you know, something like that's going to happen. In, I know it's a small sample size. Joe Brady has been able to do something with Josh Allen the last two weeks to play smart, to take what the defense is giving him, to, to not force those bomb shots that have no chance in triple coverage. He was playing smart the last, what, eight quarters? I, I don't know why in the last 20 seconds you go, you know, I can't trust Josh. I, I can't trust my franchise quarterback who's been in the league for six years to make a smart decision. I could have last year, but I, and I, I also understand that we're nitpicking this more. If, if they were having a better record and they were in the playoffs position, this would just be another loss. It would be another disappointing loss, but because of where they are in the standings, 10th in the AFC and Every single win is so critical now. You needed this one. You weren't expected to win this one. I I had them lose. I buried this team in Denver. I still think they're buried. But it's just it's it's those cowardly decisions that Sean McDermott has constantly made over and over and over. And then in, in the the crunch time moments, he's making the wrong decisions and they're on the wrong side of the win and loss column every single time. It's easy to play hindsight like I right. said, but let me ask you this. If the Bills go for it on fourth and six instead of kicking the field one overtime and they're not successful, are you criticizing that today? Am I criticizing that? Do you think 90% of the people who cover the Buffalo Bills are criticizing it or most of the fans are? I don't. I don't. I honestly think we'd be able to live with it more had the Bills went for it and not succeeded and then Philly comes down and kicks a field goal wins in an overtime, I feel like I'd have a lot more respect for Sean McDermott and the job he's doing as head coach had he shown the confidence in his office on a day where they really had no answer for the most part for Josh Allen and you're deep in Philly territory. I don't think people would have been criticizing it even if it didn't work. I know it's easy to say that in hindsight. You kind of feel the same way though. Right. I mean, looking back at it now, it's a little easier to second guess the decisions, but complete my jaw would hit the ground if he would have kept the offense out there because that's not Sean McDermott fourth and sixth. And the other thing he mentioned it at the press conference, Hey, if it was fourth and two, fourth and three, I was thinking about it. The play design didn't call for that. Like it wasn't like it was never going to be a two down thing because of the play. You threw it to the end zone. <laughs> like there was no routes or anything. It's not like you ran it up the middle to get a couple yards. Cause you knew you were going to go for it. It was a home run shot to try to score there. Cause you knew if you weren't going to score, you were going to kick a field goal, but hundred percent. If, if they would have kicked, if they would have went for it fourth at six, not get in Philly went down and scored a, a kicked field goal. That's fine because of where you are in the standings. You were six and five that needed to be a win for you to bounce back. I think they were saying you jump back up to seventh and in a playoff spot with a win there. If you don't, you drop back down to 10th. That's the winning mentality. That is playing to win the game. And he choked it and he he, he played it too cowardly and he played it too safe and went, I'm just going to kick a field goal and rely on my defense who hasn't been able to stop them in the whole second half. Now, to be completely fair, if Josh Allen and Gabe Davis, and they didn't have a lot of time because it was a blitz, he had to get rid of the ball quick. But if they're on the same page, that's you know, Gabe runs yeah. outside, it's a touchdown, and we're not even talking about any potential fourth down play. But to your point, and I heard that too in the press conference, if it would have been fourth and two, fourth and three, if you had that kind of mindset where you were going to go for it, then maybe you should have tried to run the ball on third down. Best case, you break it for six yards because they don't think you're going to do it. Worst case, like you said, you get two, three yards, and now it's fourth and two, fourth and three. It just felt like a hypocritical message uh, to me. At the end of the day, I think coaching cost the Philly game. I think he froze in the Philly game. 
He froze at Kansas City a couple years ago. He flat out did not have his team ready to even compete. Last year in the playoffs against Cincinnati, a home game, lots of, you know, a myriad of reasons why. But still, at the end of the day, your head coach, part of your responsibility is to have your team up and ready to play. And that was just a game that they were not ready to play. We've seen it too many times, whether it's him as a defensive coordinator, whether it's him as the head coach making, you know, decisions at the end of the game. It's just, I think the Bills have gone as far as they're going to go with Sean McDermott. Uh, I was arguing with a my good buddy Aaron Quinn from Cover One. Respect the hell out of him. He's been on the show plenty of times. That's my guy. But he's talking about, because people are starting to compare him to Marvin Lewis and to Marty Schottenheimer. And Aaron, who's not wrong, statistically points out that those guys lost a hell of a lot more games in the playoffs than Sean McDermott. Smaller sample size, but I feel the same way. They'll beat shitty teams. You'll get to the playoffs. Not this year, probably. But you'll get to the playoffs. But you're not going to win against good teams, tough games at the end because of your coaching. And I just feel like it's hit that point. Not to mention, maybe after seven years, as much as it's going to start getting a little stale in that locker room too, and that matters, right? Yeah, I mean, also, if you even want to add in, if Joe Brady is the legit real deal and Sean McDermott doesn't go anywhere, say McDermott's back for next year. I mean, Mm -hmm. say they even miss the playoffs. doesn't matter. He's back next year and Joe Brady's the OC. If Joe Brady has this type of offense next year, he's good as gone. He's getting a head coaching job. Then you're going to have to replace him with another offensive coordinator. Having a defensive mind, and I know this has been a talking point for a lot of people recently, and I mean, throughout the years, when you have an offensive-minded head coach, you're not worried about it. Like Kansas City, Andy Reid's not going anywhere. So that offensive-minded head coach is staying in place. It's so valuable. And because Sean McDermott is so defensive minded and he's the defensive coordinator, you're going to be losing offensive coordinators that are so talented. I mean, Brian Dable might not be cracking it as the Giants head coach right now, even though he just won it. But he's a great offensive head uh, um, coordinator for Josh Allen. He was exactly what he needed. Joe Brady, if that's the same situation, Joe Brady's out the door as a head coaching position because Josh Allen. It's just you're going to continue to lose offensive coordinators with Sean McDermott is your head coach because he's just defensive minded. That's another aspect of that. I don't think a ton of people or everybody, I should say, I think a ton of people realize it now, but I don't think everybody is realizing that, Hey, as long as Sean McDermott's in place and your offense is top notch, you're going to have to recycle offensive coordinators over and over and over. Sure. And you know, I think to some extent, like I said, message getting stale. Uh, I feel like he could be in danger of losing a locker room. Another thing I really hate about Sean McDermott right now is, what I like to call selective accountability. James Cook makes a mistake. He drops the ball in Denver. He sits for a quarter and a half. James Cook, who, by the way, pissed me the hell off, and I'm sure you and everybody watching or listening to the show early in the game. Two runs with no conviction, and then he drops what would have been a touchdown pass. I ain't got no problem with telling him to take his ass, take a seat. You know, I'm good with Ty Johnson for a while. I get that. But you bench guys for a mistake like that. You bench Dorian Williams, who's a rookie, because he's made a mistake a couple times this year and he doesn't see the field again. But then you go back to Denver and Gabe Davis, who had a great game um, in Philly, but he's went weeks without doing nothing. Ball right through his hands, interception in that Denver game. That mattered. He doesn't get benched. Jordan Phillips, who for the love of God, I don't know what it is that Sean McDermott loves about Jordan Phillips, but week after week after week, absolute bonehead, idiotic, stupid penalties. He gets them like clockwork at least once a week. I don't put a lot of stock into PFF, but I I look at their grades and their numbers. They matter at least somewhat. This dude is one of the worst 
defensive tackles in the NFL run defense. His tackling grade is trash. So is Tim Settles. But anyway, Jordan Phillips, he, he never gets benched. Maybe he comes out for a play, gets a personal foul battle, and he comes out for one play, and he's right back in there. The selective accountability that he has, I would imagine at least anyway, that that doesn't sit well with some of the guys in the locker room. Yeah, I mean, it it, it almost never looks inward either. I mean, it, it, he almost never takes accountability for any bad decisions that he makes. Even going back, I, I know people hate bringing this up, 13 seconds. That, that has never been mentioned. Like, how do you, as a head coach in that position, do you not take accountability for that? It He is great at tooting his own horn when the defense is unbelievable. What was it, the Denver game where they yeah, played Denver. unbelievable? He tooted his horn and gave praise selectively to the defense. Where were where was full accountability? Hey, my team just gave up 30, what, some odd point, 37 points to uh, uh, Philly. Where was yeah. that account? He made one accountability where he was saying that Jalen Hurts, that one's on me. But that is that the first time I've heard him take accountability for the longest time? But you're you're dead on. He picks and chooses when he wants to be a, a, a like a the teacher overseeing everybody. Like, hey, you drop the ball here, go take a seat. Which they're grown football players, man. You don't think they they know that they screwed up? I mean, sit him on the bench, two two snaps. Dude, yeah. you, can't, you can't be dropping the ball. You got to give some effort there. I mean, it, it worked in the Denver game once he came back. I just hated that he was on the bench for so long. Like, whatever yeah. he did made James Cook play unbelievable in that Denver game. But it, it probably, two snaps, it would have probably done the same thing. It's just he, yeah. he picks and chooses which players to bench and which players to take out the field. And the other ones, for some reason, it's like they got blackmail on them or something that, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're good. You can keep playing. Yeah, uh, Frank Lenny commented. He said, lacking talent plus poor head coaching, game time decisions equals not good enough. I don't really agree with that. I think there's enough talent. I know losing Milano and Daquan Jones hurt, but there's still plenty of, of talent on that defense. Maybe not to be a dominant shutdown defense, like say maybe the Baltimore Ravens are, but they're certainly good enough to, to win, and they should be good enough to be able to close out games when you got a lead inside of two minutes, which again, 0 for 3, and that's the biggest reason among any why they're nine and three, or not nine and three, I should say, why they are six and six. Uh, Josh Allen, man, again, he was elite. He can't be too happy right now. You you start, are you starting to worry that if Terry Bagula doesn't pull this trigger, which I don't think he's going to do, by the way, that he's his prime years are, are just gonna end up wasted right now. He remind I hate Phillip Rivers comparisons because they're nothing alike in terms of skill set and talent, but Phillip Rivers was a very good quarterback in a conference that he couldn't get over the hump and didn't play for championships. I worry that that's going to end up being Josh Allen if the Bills don't do something to uh, – and I, and I do think it starts with coaching. I keep going back to that. I normally hate that. I normally say it's the players, it's the Johnny and Joes, not the X's and O's. But when it comes to Sean McDermott, we've just seen too many brain farts that are glaringly obvious like we did in Philly on Sunday to, to conclude – that it's not the coaching that's the root of the biggest problems right now with this organization. Yeah, I'm usually exactly where you are, where it's it, the coaches aren't playing, the players are playing, and I completely get that. Mm -hmm. But it, when you're looking at the whole grand scheme of things on all those losses that have stacked up, and I mean, there's people out there that make tears out of the, the embarrassing losses. If I'm Josh Allen, I'm going, what more can I do? He Between that and the Kansas City game, those are probably his two greatest games that I, I can remember of him playing. 
and he's on the losing end of both of it because of coaching decisions and because the defense couldn't get a stop. It's got to be, it's got to be just banging your head against the wall, sitting in the locker room after the game, just going, what more can I possibly do? I had over 400 yards myself. I scored four touchdowns. What else can I possibly do to get this team over the wall? Stefan Diggs is probably thinking the same thing. And the whole offseason, he's probably thinking, I was right. Nobody wanted to listen to me. I was right. Where are all these apology letters to me? But it's just, I, I don't, at some point, it has to just be enough is enough. And you have to be thinking, this is not good enough. This is the Buffalo Bills of the now. This is not Buffalo Bills, the 17-year drought. This is the Buffalo Bills that constantly make the playoffs, that are AFC East champions, that are title contenders. And this is just not good enough. And it, Andy Reid got fired from Philly because he couldn't get the job done. It happens. It, it's not a thing to be afraid of what is coming next. you got to be worried about the present. And if it's not good enough, move on. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, I am back here with PK from the Buffalo Sports Collective. Uh, by the way, live on the video side anyway, late Monday night. You're in Niagara Falls, right? That area? Uh, sadly, you yes. You ain't even got no snow out there, do you? It's uh, bone dry out here. I think we got a couple sprinkles, but yeah, it's fine here. Yeah, dude, I'm in West Seneca, and it has been banging all day. I got some Christmas inflatables that are up in the front lawn and they're buried right now in snow. The snow brought down the, the handles that hold them up together. So they're <laughs> all over the place, man. I got, I hate it. It's not even December yet, but it's Christmas season, man. I'll deal with it until, uh, <laughs> until after Christmas season. And so, you know, what's funny. I, I booked you weeks ago with the premise of the Sabres playing the New York Rangers and that we were going to jump on live and spend the majority of our time talking about that. We are going to get to the Sabres here in just a few minutes, but spend so much time talking about Sean McDermott and how riled up he's got in me. And we really haven't had a chance to, to finish the other stuff that I want to talk about with the Bills that I think is important anyway. Um, 
Vaughn Miller at this point, which could go back to Sean McDermott to some extent, because he is the one ultimately in charge of who's active and who's inactive on game days. I don't know how much he tells Eric Washington, you know, we're rotating the defensive ends. I don't know how much of that, Sean, how much of that is Eric. But here's what I do know, BK. I am done with Vaughn Miller for 2023. You got a gazillion dollars invested in his ass. I get it. Let him sit. Let him be ready. Let him be full goal for OTAs next year when he's 100%. Because watching him on TV on Sundays, and you don't need to be no film expert, man. You don't need to be Joe Marino. You don't need to be Eric Turner. Any of these guys. You can see it with your own eyes when you just watch the telecast. But then when you watch the All-22 film as well, it's like he is doing zero to help the team. Eight games, no sacks. This is the second straight week where he didn't even have any stats. Nothing. Zero. Not even a tackle. He's just not giving the Bills anything. And at times, I was screaming at the TV one play. He just was, he was jockeying. Wasn't even running hard. Another play in a snap, which you can see on film, he makes a beeline and he darts and hits the center and kind of knocked Leonard Floyd from pass, a pass rush on a play. I'm at the point now, you got to play your best players. You got to win these football games. Vaughn Miller, as it stands, and I don't think it's going to change this season, isn't one of your best four defensive ends. He doesn't belong on the football field, and he's hurting this football team. He's got to go. Get him yeah. ready for next yeah. year. Yeah, I mean, when he's on the field, that means Rousseau or A.J. Panessa is not on the field. And yeah. that is, yeah. he's not just hurting them by being on the field and not performing. He's hurting them because of who they're taking off the field when he goes on it. Every single snap I've seen from him, and again, I'm not film expert. I don't watch the film, whatever. Every single play, he's just getting pushed to the outside. Like yeah. every, there's no spin moves. There's no, you know, uh, 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 swim show, nothing, nothing. It's the same thing over and over again. And the offensive tackle has got to be going, I'm facing Von Miller today. This is going to be an easy one. Cause I'm just going to be able to keep him to the outside. It's it, it even if you want to relate it back to Trey white last year, you knew that Trey white was not himself in those games. Even when he came back, I mean, you could kind of see the trajectory he was getting better and better each week. Von Miller, it's just plateaued. Like there's been no improvement. There's been no decline. It's just been steady Eddie contributing nothing like all season long. And I don't know if it's, he's not fully back. I don't know if like his age is also contributing to it. I'm sure that is. And second time he's torn this, but it's, I, I, he's deaf. He's hurting the team in so many ways that I can't believe he hasn't even just gone to the coaching staff, the team first player that he is. I can't believe he hasn't gone to the coaching staff and just go, Hey, I can't perform at the level I need to. I'm hurting the team. You need to sit me. I can't believe he is a team first kind of player that I thought he was. I can't believe he hasn't gone to coaching staff. Maybe he has, maybe he has. And they said, no, you got to keep playing. That's, that's possible. But you're they're watching the same film we are. They have to be seeing the same thing we are. I don't know why they're not making a change. Yeah, Lane Johnson didn't even play. A backup right. had no problems. Um, handling him, you know, it gets to a point where you say Trey White, and you can tell about last year, and he wasn't, he was a shell of himself. And we saw what Trey White could be this, this season yep. for a month before for sure. But here's the thing. Last year, your other corner options, they're Dane Jackson, yep. they're an, uh, you know, an underwhelming rookie in Kyrie Elam, and another rookie in Christian Benford who wasn't even healthy. I mean, they had to play Jamarcus Ingram at times last year. So you didn't really – even a, a shell of Trey White was still better than what right. else they could yep. run out. That's not the case right now. I would plead to you that I think Kingsley Jonathan is a better defensive end who's not even seen the field right now at least anyway – 
than Von Miller is. It's just, it's unbelievable. And it's getting to a point where, like I said, I, I feel like they're trying to get him right at the expense of football games. He was on the field for third and three, that back-breaking play where Mixon caught him inside, gets around him, runs for a first down at Cincinnati, runs out the clock. He was on the field for the big play in Denver. Kind of the same thing sort of happened there as well. And then the other thing, then we're going to get to some Sabre shit here, that it goes under the radar because we're so heated about McDermott. We were, you know, earlier in the season, it was the offense. Now it's the defense, the injuries. I'll tell you one constant on this team, PK, that's been an issue this entire year consistently, and that's special teams. Special teams is atrocious, and that hurts to say that because there's never been a team in the history of football that puts more resources, it seems, and money and personnel, guys who make this team because they're supposed to be great special teams players, than the Buffalo Bills. But we know that they literally lost the Denver game, and I mean literally. You could sit there and talk about the offensive defense all day. Get 11 guys on the field. He misses the kick. The scoreboard hits zero. You win the football game. But they didn't communicate. And Matthew Smiley or McDermott, whoever it is, both of them, didn't tell Leonard Floyd to get his ass off the field on third down. He walked around confused. It was too late. Anyway, that's one game. This game in Philly, more of the same. I mean, maybe not that one dramatic move but or play, but still too many mistakes. A missed field goal from Tyler Bass. A blocked field goal from Tyler Bass. Saran Neal getting a face mask penalty while he's covering a punt. Not blocking on a punt return. Covering a block on a punt that was never going to be returned. Never going to be returned. And he still gets a 15-yard face mask. Balen Specter, who I forgot was even on the roster, let alone active, he gets a special teams penalty while we go to commercial. I mean, this special teams has just been fucking atrocious all season long. It's just hard to fathom with all the resources that they put into this unit. And St. Martin's been trashed too. Oh, <laughs> the punting game has been terrible too. But I, <sighs> the one name you mentioned has been sticking out for a while for me, Saran Neal. My God, he is overpaid and shouldn't be on the team. And like you said, right from the start, the, the, the amount of investment that this team has put into special teams where he's been saying one third, one third, one third, all about special teams. You got to invest in special teams. Did you see, and this wasn't a big talking point because they smashed the jets last week, that fake punt, that attempted tackle by Saran Neal. Was he just trying to give him like a hug or something? He is so lucky that guy stepped out of bounds. And again, they blew him out. So in the grand scheme of things, whatever. But that's another example. Grabbing the face mask when you're what is going on? Like this, I I don't understand. I forgot about that. Yeah, it was. I, I don't understand how special teams can just be such a hindrance to a team like this, where there hasn't been a single game all season long where the special teams, the defense and the offense were all working as one good collective unit. And it's, it's, it's infuriating with the amount of resources that have been put in both the defense and the special offense. I mean, they've invested a good amount of money in Diggs and and Morris and Dawkins and stuff like that, but secondary receivers and all those kind of things, they haven't really focused. You've been putting more focus on special teams, and this is the result that you get. I want to backtrack with one quick thing. I want to make one thing clear about Vaughn Miller, too. I don't think Vaughn Miller is a bad person. I don't think Vaughn Miller is necessarily a bad teammate. Vaughn Miller is a very prideful, future first ballot Hall of Famer that desperately wants to be Vaughn Miller. He wants to help the Bills win. I don't question any of that whatsoever. I just think 
physically he's not there. And, you know, it's kind of like what other sports, when guys try to come back too quickly, it's the player's always going to want to play. It's on the coaches, which is yet another notch against McDermott. It's on the coaches to shut you down and say, it's just not there for you, bud, man. You know, come back in a month. We'll see how you are in a month. We'll see where you're at in the offseason, whatever it may be. So I just want to make sure I pointed it out with Vaughn Miller. I don't think he's acting selfish and saying, I don't care about this team. I care about myself more. He wants to be a part of a winning team here in Buffalo. Just wanted to make sure I threw that out there. One last thing too, with Brandon Bean, you know, you look at this roster right now and this Philly game really hit home for me with this. I'm sitting there, I'm watching the film and look, he's had some good signings in the offseason. I think Leonard Floyd has been a great, and I mean great free agent signing, one of the best free agent signings in the league, and which is crazy because it came after the draft late. Connor McGovern's been all right. Latavius Murray's another guy. I think Damian Harris was on his way to being a good signing. I think he was an upgrade for what they were looking for. Unfortunately, he got hurt. But I watch this game on Sunday, okay? And I see two things. Number one, again, I watched the film, and Tim Settle and Jordan Phillips, trash, man. It's just, at least in this game, nothing, 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 nothing you get from these guys. And I'm thinking to myself, you signed Puna Ford, and this guy's not even good enough to be active on game days. Then, Deontay Hardy's inactive. And Isabella gets called up. He's just going to be a return of this game. Okay, I get that. But number one, you whiffed on Deontay Hardy, and now you're pretty much conceding that, or at least Sean's conceding that because he's not even playing him. And then I'm like, Trent Sherfield, I've been high on this guy. When he was with Miami, I was excited about Trent Sherfield coming to Buffalo. Just ain't working. Sunday, three targets, no catches. And on two of those, he literally did not even know that the ball was coming his way. Infuriating. And then you got to look at Brandon Bean and you're going to distribute the little, you know, slice up the blame pie here a little bit. Brandon Bean's going to deserve a couple slices as well because he's really missed. Puna Ford has not helped this team and they've gotten zero from Hardy or Sherfield. I thought the receiving unit was going to be a big upgrade from last year. Wrong. Yeah, I mean, for a GM that usually is good in those positions where it's finding the picking the players off, signing for a one-year deal, come here, come to Buffalo, turn your career around, and then go make a payday. I mean, he did that with Jordan Phillips years ago, and he had that big payday with Arizona. Yeah. I, I honestly, I think I was on the show and I said, if Bills are going to win the Super Bowl, Deontay Hardy is going to have a huge role in it. That that was nothing. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> him and Sherfield, <laughs> the signing, everything that we saw in the offseason where we thought that those pieces were going to be top notch, is it just Floyd? If Floyd, like you mentioned, Connor McGovern's been good. No, he's right. been good. Uh, all right. Yeah. Leonard Floyd might be the best signing he's ever made. And is like a one-year off-season deal. Yeah, sure, it's sure, been sure. unbelievable. But yeah, these these secondary pieces. He has not been very good since John Brown and Cole Beasley at bringing in wide receiver help for this wide receiver room. I mean, Gabe Davis is hit or miss. I, it's, he made that trade for Stefan Diggs, but who else has he brought in that has helped on the outside? There's really been nobody else since the John Brown Cole Beasley days, and it has definitely hindered and hurt Josh Allen to an extent. Thank God that Kincaid is what he is right now, but it's, it's very disappointing to see Sherfield and Hardy, who I had high hopes for coming into the season, just been, you know, like you said, healthy scratch for Hardy and Sherfield. They've been when he's on the field, he's running the wrong routes. Uh, Offensive production wise, they've been as close to useless as you can get it. To me, that's a crazy thing because I said, when you added Hardy, 
in Sherfield. I told, I said it on the show. I thought to myself instantly, I told anyone who would listen, I said, worst case, and I mean worst case, Hardy and Sherfield are at least a modest upgrade from Isaiah McKenzie and Jake Kumaro. That was like my worst case scenario. As it turns out, and we're now 12 games into a season, how much is really going to change down the stretch here? I would tell you this. If you could give me Isaiah McKenzie and Jake Kummerow, is Jake Kummerow even play football anymore? I honestly don't even know. But if I could have Isaiah McKenzie and Jake Kummerow and I could jettison uh, Deontay Hardy and Trent Sherfield right now, I'd do it in a second. Isn't that nuts? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it's crazy how we have looked at, and this happens. You're looking back at what we said in like July and August on what the potential for this offense could be. And possibly it could be part of it was Dorsey's. It honestly could be the, the schemes and stuff from Dorsey that maybe in time, the rest of the season that I know it's a long shot. Maybe Sherfield or Hardy could step up in this Joe Brady offense. I'm not banking on it whatsoever, but it's a possibility based on what we've seen out of this offense the last two games. I'm not discounting it yet, but I mean, the, the, the chances of that panning out are so, so slim. I, I still got a tiny bit of hope for it, but even that, there, there's almost nothing there for me to hope for because <laughs> the only thing that's open is that Joe Brady seems like he's an offensive genius right now. I wish I, if you're watching the video, so my face was like, <laughs> that was me as you were talking. Um, I got to put up one note. comment. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not, I'm not going to get into this conversation because I don't want to be here all night with this show. Um, Bob O'Brien, who said, Hockley, he's talking about Ed Hockley owes surrounding a million dollars from failed business venture together. Anyone see a problem here? Clearly he's referencing, uh, the officiating. He also says the Eagles are five and oh, when Hockley is officiating. That is true. I'm not going to get into the officiating because I want to talk some Sabres with you here in a second. It was horrific. It was bad. I hate nothing infuriates me more. Generally speaking, PK, when I go on, you know, Twitter is mainly people who follow me, you know, strangers for the most part that I don't know. And meanwhile, I follow plenty of, you know, friends, sports media, people, athletes, and such. It's kind of like my sports connection. Facebook is primarily friends, family, you know, your photos of you and the fam, you and the dog, you and Christmas decorations and stuff like that. Casual fans, not necessarily as many diehard fans. It is the easiest thing in the world. Fans are always blaming the refs for everything. You know, the refs screwed the bills. Uh, hear that all shit all the time. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, the officiating was fucking atrocious and it was one-sided against the bills. I'm not going to go as far to say the game was fixed. I just think it was some horribly incompetent officiating. I mean, the horse collar non-call, and then you couple that with intentional grounding. When you see the film that Gabe Davis is there, and he was getting hit, throwing the balls, he's getting hit. It's just completely ridiculous. Darius Slay, not once, but twice. I said I wasn't going to talk about this yet. Here I am. Because honestly, I'm getting pissed off again. God I damn mean, it. if you really want to get I, – I won't even dive into this because I want to go to the Sabres. But if you get really angry about – people complaining about the refs don't go on Facebook, Instagram, anything after a bad call for the Buffalo bandits. Yeah. My God, I can it's, imagine. it's worse than the bills. It, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. It's yeah. worse than the bills for the bandits out of officiating. There's blind refs all over the place. It's terrible over there. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Show listener, Bob O'Brien for, for sending me down a rabbit hole that I didn't want to go down because it was really bad, man. But 
you know, Leanne came to, to sum it up. She says officiating was bad, but it didn't lose the game. I agree. Yep. Coaching yep. lost the game. Coaching lost the game. Your offense plays that well. You your coaching lost uh the game. They're six and six. Feels so gloomy. Don't it feel gloomy to be six and six? If you're a Bills fan, Bills content creator, whatever the hell we all are right now, it just feels gloomy. It's not something I expected to ever say in August. It's just, it's hard. Other side, there's another hockey or there's another Buffalo team, I should say right now, that's also 500, and that is the Buffalo Sabres. They are now 10, 10 and 2 overall, 5, 5 and 2 on the road, 5 and 5 at home, 500 all over the place, man. They beat the New York Rangers tonight. A very good hockey team on the road, impressive fashion, five to one. Um, yeah, the record suggests that they are so mid, and I know that's another thing that the young kids like to say a lot. So mid. Um, I guess PK, my, my thing is this before we get into the game itself, five, five, or you know, uh, what are they, 10, 10, and two now? Don't love it, don't hate it. My my mindset is you can't win a championship early in the season but you can lose one. You know what I'm saying? When it comes to the Sabres, that's how I feel about them right now. They ain't winning shit. Bills ain't winning shit. But the Sabres ain't losing either so far. You know, like I, this is a, I'm not thrilled where they are, but I, I'm accepting it. This is acceptable to me at least. Yeah, I mean, three, one, and one in their last five games. I had to double check to make sure that was good. Uh, uh, that, not that was good. That was correct because right, it didn't right, right. feel like they were three, one and one in their last five. It, it, I think a lot of it was the New Jersey game where it was just so deflating where New Jersey almost had as many goals as Buffalo did shots seven oh. to 12, but this game was, it, it was Jekyll and Hyde. It was unbelievable what difference it was from the New Jersey game where I literally crucified. I went, they're not even trying out there. There's nobody even out there skating besides like Benson and Paterka. Everybody else is just like coasting around. They're hanging mm -hmm. their goalie out to dry. This game, it was, it was flipped the script. And I don't get it because New Jersey or uh, uh, New York is one of the best hockey teams out there. And they just, besides like what, 15 minutes in the second quarter or second period, Buffalo dominated them. I mean, they were all over. They were getting those timely goals from Alex Tuck over and over and over. It was it it didn't feel like they should have been playing as well as they were based on what happened on Saturday. UPL, my God, unbelievable. I have been saying it leading up to this, but I think I have to actually do it. I have to find an apology note and uh, something to write to him. Cause I, I wanted him out of town. I didn't think he was going to be good. I said, if you're going to be good, be good with somebody else's team and he's their best goalie right now. And he needs to have the crease over and over and over this three goalie system that we set going into the season is not going to work. I just assumed it was going to be Levi ahead of it. It's UPL right now. And I I'm happy to be wrong because he is playing out of his mind. And in the last five games, He's made 129 saves and six goals against. He's playing unbelievably right now, and he needs the crease. He, um, yes, it's funny. Uh, I'm thinking of hindsight right now. You know, it's all about the Bills with hindsight. I'm talking about the season projections or season predictions with the with the Sabres season previews. I talked to a couple guys, Chandy Domenicis. Ah, uh, no, I don't think Chris Baker and I talked too much about goalies. Definitely Joe Yurden. And I remember saying, please. Don't carry three goalies. I'm good. Levi's your one. Comrie's your two. Wave UPL. He ain't it. If no one claims him, he goes to Rochester. They do. Wash your hands. Let's just have two goalies and let's rock. 
that was my mindset going into the season. God damn. Thank God Kevin Adams doesn't listen to my stupid ass because yeah, he has been really, really good. Sabres are three and oh in his last three last three times he's started. And I think they're 0-3 when they're not. Some stat like that. Again, everything leads around 500 with this team right now. I'll tell you. And again, we're talking about this Monday victory over the Rangers. If you're listening to this or you're watching this live or listening the next day, whatever, if you didn't see it on social media or on TV, hopefully you do because he made this possibly best save I've seen by any saver this season. And that might have been the NHL goalie save of the year. Very Dominic Hasek-esque. And it was on a former Saber, uh, Jimmy VC, Vasey, whatever the fuck his name was. It looked like it was a certain goal, and he just stuck that stick out and just made an absolute uh, beauty. 25, what, 25 saves on 26 shots tonight. Just um, unbelievable. But, yeah, good, real good team effort. So up and down. It's like it's like a, a seesaw with this team right now. Friday night, they play like shit early on. Not necessarily play like shit, but they're down 2 nothing to Pittsburgh. Scored three goals in the third period. Very emotional game. Alex Tuck said during the, the post game on Monday night here tonight that that was a very emotional win for them. Then they go to New Jersey. They got nothing in the tank. New Jersey's been playing shitty, and they came out really hungry and just smacked the shit out of them. You said how ugly that game was. So I was doing a lot of running around on Saturday, PK, and I made it a point to take a pause, and I put a block aside to be able to be home to watch the Sabres game. That lasted about that last well, it lasted about 12 minutes because it's four nothing. I'm like, fuck this. And I went to Rusty Buffalo to meet up. Shout out Rusty Buffalo and West Seneca to meet up with a couple of my buddies. I was like, I ain't sitting here and watching this game. But anyway, they just get shellacked in New Jersey. And then they bounce back with the Rangers in a uh convincing win. Now, five one sounds like it was a blowout. It was anything but this was a really tight game until uh the last five minutes. Um Couple guys to, to shout out to JJ Paterka opened the scoring. He's uh, he's up to nine goals. Kind of feels to me like he's this year's Jack Quinn from last year. You know, he's really starting to, to show his potential and break out. Up to nine goals, solid top six player right now, man. Yeah, I mean, before the season, we did our bold predictions. I had him over 30 goals. I might have cut him short. He might get up to 40. I mean, mm. the goals all seem to be in almost the exact same spot from top of my memories in that the top of the key right there every single time. And it's the same top shot. He just roofs it. But that line cousins, Paterka and Benson, that line was so fun to watch tonight. Benson, yeah. we said it on the show last Wednesday and I went, if you want to hear me rant and just go in on the Sabres, if they send Zach Benson back oh. to juniors, when he is one of their best forwards, I'm going to lose my absolute mind and they made the right decision. They kept them up. I was like, okay, my blood pressure can stay as high as it is right now. Get trying to get it lower. We're good. But he's, he's unbelievable. Every time he's on the ice, I forget he's 18 years old. I, I he, he's a legit, he's too small. He's definitely too small, but that kid skates with a passion every single game. If every single one of those players played the way that he does, this team would not be a 500 team right now. They'd be at you know in a wild card spot or in in the top three of their division right now because he's just playing unbelievable. JJ, that pairing, that line right now with Cousins, Paterka, and Benson, it's it's fun. It's very fun. even Cousin. You can excuse the 
the boneheaded decision where they're going down on a shorthanded brush and he, for some stupid reason, I don't know, he tries to drop back and they go back down the other way. And I think it's uh, UPL makes a great save on it, but I think it was in the third period. He hustles his butt back, back checks and breaks up a surefire goal. That line is so fun to watch. It is man. And, and, you know, we talked about UPL making the save of the year. Zach Benson in his 10th game, Scores the goal of the year. I mean, I don't think he was going anywhere regardless of whether he scored that goal or not, but that really cemented it for him last week. Yeah, he played well. Um, I mean, you know what? I can't even blame him. He got called for a cross check. The guy didn't even move. And he got nailed for that. It was, was a makeup about, call. Makeup was call. Probably a makeup call that did lead to the Rangers' only yep. goal of the game. Uh, it's a band jam. Just a bad goddamn mini rifle, a nice one-timer past UPL. But anyway, yeah, so Paterka scores. Alex Tuck gets him up 2-0. Um, Bang home a nice rebound from, from uh, middle stat set up from Darlene there. Um, like I said, then the Rangers cut it to 2-1. to one, And then Tuck scores again. Middle stat in the empty net. And Kyle Ocposo scores. And by the way, the goal meant nothing because the game was over. Only 6.7 seconds left. But holy shit, that was a nice rifle on a... Uh, who gave him that feed, man? Who, who was uh, Yoki Arrow. Yokiaro, yep. yeah, beautiful feed. And it's funny because who had been probably, well, Eric Johnson on the defensive side, but on social media, I know you at least pay attention to it to an extent. Who had been the biggest whipping boys, you know, when it comes to the Sabres and their offense? These guys are hurting the team. I've said that, but to be fair, so I shouldn't be making fun of other people when I say the same shit myself. But when we're talking about the guys that are hurting the team, you, you say, Olafson and you say Akposo and you say Gergensen's who's now on IR and he's hurt. Well, I mean, don't look now, but Kyle Akposo has scored a goal in three straight games and don't look now, but um, Olafson's producing, man. He's got, where's it? Listen, two assists. He's got eight points, I think, in his last seven games or seven points in his last eight games. One of those others. And uh, he's producing. You can't take him out of the lineup when he's producing like that, man. And again, Akposo starting to, to find the net. Kulik didn't, Kulik didn't play tonight. I didn't like it during the day. I hated the 11 and 7 again. Can't argue with the results, though, man. These guys are are producing. You, you, you can't take them off the ice. Yeah, I was ready to come on the show and rip them for the 11 7 again, and uh, I can't do it because it too. came out and worked. But Olison, not only is he producing point wise, he's actually playing defense. It's unbelievable. He's back checking. He's stealing the puck. He's actually playing in his own end. And that is part of the game. When he was playing perfect and great, it was in that March run. What was it? Two years ago now where we actually, if this is the Olofsson that we're going to get, we have a legit good winger right here. And it just went away. The last few games, not only is he producing offensively, but his defense is another reason why you can't get him out of the lineup. I agree. I, I was ticked off when I saw the lineup and Kulik isn't in. I'm like, why did you call him up if he's going to sit his butt on the bench? And I, I was like, Clifton gets the excuse. He's still in the lineup right now after the game he just put in in, uh, in New Jersey. Why didn't Yoki hire you just relieve him and you keep Kulik in? It's 11 and seven. I don't know what is with it, but it's working. And uh, I'm assuming that uh, next game they're going to be, I think it's Wednesday. They're going to probably roll out the same 11 and seven and just keep rolling with it. Uh, yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't, you know, I've hated the three goalies. I I, nah, I hate the 11 and seven, yep. but if it's going to work, it's going to work. And Granado is not going to change things when it's working. Yeah. Clearly didn't even dress tonight. Rosane played like just a handful of minutes. Him and Jost were 
in the lineup, but they barely played. They almost played exclusive, almost went nine forwards the whole game. Yeah, look, Eric Johnson is playing, from what I understand, you know, not being trying to sound like an expert because I'm not, but Eric Johnson is playing a lot of the penalty kill min minutes. So you can look at if you're going to give up a penalty, if he's going to save you a, a goal a game on the penalty kill, I guess he's worth having out there. I don't know. At some point, though, you know, decisions are going to have to be made because, I mean, weeks away still, but Quinn's going to be back. Obviously, Tage is going to be back. It's going to be interesting to see what he does. Now, we know all of a sudden, like, we know him through his Sabres career. You know, he'll have seven points in eight games, and then he won't touch the net or have a point for 11 games in a row, and then he'll make that decision um, easy. Yeah. If you would have told me that Kulik wasn't going to play and Rosane was going to do nothing and Benson was not going to have a point and you beat the Rangers 5-1, I was like, what? But I'm happy, man. I'm happy, PK. Yeah, I mean, this was a very good game, especially because the last two times I've been on here, it's uh, right after yeah. the game, it's been a loss. <laughs> and I think we said that right before we started recording. I'm like, I'm so happy they won because three straight losses, you, you're going to cut me from the guest list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sabres coming up. So they had Thursday, not Wednesday. So they were in Thursday yep. in St. Louis. They got two nights off before a game, which I think they said something about that was the first time they've had two nights in between a game in a while. But anyway, Thursday at St. Louis, um, Saturday at Carolina. And then they're back home for a game Sunday against Nashville. And then a big game next Tuesday at home um, against the Detroit Red Wings. Before I let you go, I don't think I've ever asked you this. I don't think we've ever talked baseball. And if we have, I got a shitty memory. Can't remember. Are you are you a Yankees fan? I am. Growing up, I was a Yankees fan. I've stopped following baseball for the most part. That's right. Like, I still follow it, but I don't keep as strong tabs on it. I've... Because they played here in Buffalo, I've and my wife is in love with Bobachette. So if you have any connections, you know, she probably <laughs> wants his number. But I, I think I've turned to covering and watching the Blue Jays a bit more too. I still mm. love the Yankees, so they're probably still my number one, but it's not like I die hard Yankees fan that I used to be. That's fair. All right. Well, I, I asked you that for a reason because there's a documentary on Netflix and it's called It Ain't Over. It's a Yogi Berra documentary. And I got to tell you, man, it, I watched it and it was one of the best sports documentaries that I've ever seen in my life. And it doesn't matter if you're a Yankees fan. doesn't even so much matter if you're a baseball fan per se. It's also about the ultimate American dream success story. All right. Anyway, I watched it and I was moved by it. I, I loved it. And I reached out to, I found who the director was. And I reached out to him. Long story short, I taped an interview with him today. And um, it's going to be on Thursday's show. His name's Sean Mullen. He's a director. For everyone out there watching or listening to this show here as we wrap up, it's called It Ain't Over. If you, if you, haven't, if you got Netflix and you haven't seen this shit yet, go watch it. I'm telling you. It is really good. I looked it up on Tomato Meter. 98% approval rating. It is one of the highest marked on tomato or rotten tomatoes documentaries ever ever of any documentary ever that's how good it is and i'm hearing in red reports and i talked to the director there's oscar buzz going on about this in fact they're doing a q a in december him and billy crystal in new york city he talked about this on the show by the way on thursday um they're doing a q a and a screening for for people who Kind of like, I don't know, I don't know shit about the Oscars, but like they pick what's going to be nominated for the Oscars. Anyway, it's going to be on Thursday's show. So baseball fan or, or not, it's a, it's going to be a fun one. Anyway, 
All right, that's going to do it. Thank you again. PK, make sure you check out the Buffalo Sports Collective. Like I said, especially with bandit season starting, I am stoked. Going twice a week starting, not this week, next week, right? Yeah, next week, Monday and Friday. All right, man. So make sure you guys check that out. Make sure you follow PK on Twitter, PK underscore BSC. See, I don't even, I don't even need notes anymore, man. I've had you on enough now that I got that shit memorized. But <laughs> thanks for doing this, buddy. I always appreciate you, man. Thanks. Thanks for the uh, invite. All right, guys. And I will be back tomorrow. Oh, God, I hate talking about the Bills anymore in a stupid game. But I did watch the All-22. So it's the weekly All-22 film and PFF grades analysis episode. That'll be on tomorrow. Talk to you guys then. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.